When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the first Best Ball Theory. Apologies for the delay on getting getting started. I'm an idiot. Did not have the intro ready. So I've been scrambling to get that done before we start. But thank you for joining. I'm excited. Every Thursday, up until the NFL season, we're going to do this on Thursdays. You know, we do tons of draft streams for us. Mondays and Fridays are draft streams. Um have a you know football show where sometimes we're doing drafts as well right there's tons of different um drafting and and a lot of kind of the same stuff going on right over the course of the summer i want to take thursdays to specifically focus in on some different strategy discussions and we can all kind of figure it out together right um i'm interested to hear some of you guys' thoughts on um, strategy elements of, of particularly the subject we're going to talk about today, but over the course of the entire summer. Um, and we'll dive into all kinds of different stuff. So let's get into the first episode of Best Ball Theory. Sloppy Silas, I agree. I'm also here for the MVS steam. Paul, seventh, seventh round, around after sky, around after sky. That is funny. In case you, uh, you probably haven't seen it because I just posted it like a half hour ago, but I posted an article about uh, specifically focused on drafters. If you have not signed up at drafters, you absolutely should. They just launched a million dollar best ball contest, which is absolutely insane. They have multiple sites, a new like a, a third, a third site, like shout out drafters, man. That is absolutely incredible. We have another million dollar tournament to enter. But uh, I just wrote up the players I think we should be targeting specifically for drafters. And MVS is on there. And if you are in the Discord, you know that last night we talked about MVS quite a bit. Um, and there was some back and forth. And some disagreement on MBS, but um, he was a player in there. It's a free, it's it's free content, so I can spoil it a little bit here. MBS was a player that I think um, will be a good example of something we might talk about today with these early drafts. But he's he's a player I think we should be targeting on drafters. We should be targeting everywhere on underdog as well. When when DraftKings comes out, I'll probably write another article, and it's going to be a regurgitation of the same players. <laughs> MVS will probably be one of them, but uh, yeah, I think we should be targeting MVS. So Willis, shout out Willis, thank you for joining. Isn't the best strategy just draft the players who will score the most points? Yeah, that's what you don't understand is I started this, and I'm we're gonna I'm gonna lure you in on opening day, right? Today's our opening day for this new show. 
and then every Thursday thereafter, it's just going to be me coming on for mm, five minutes and saying, just draft the best players. Like just draft the guys who score the, who's Cooper cup this year, draft him. It's really not that hard of a game. If you just, if you just got last year, the best strategy was if you just got a late first round pick, right? So you need to go in and assure yourself that you're getting a late first round pick. Here's how you won. It's pretty easy. So whatever we got to do this year to get whatever pick we're supposed to get. I don't know what that pick is yet, but last year, let's say you got the 11th pick, 10th pick. Just draft Austin Eckler. Dummy. He's a running back on the, one of the best offenses in the NFL. Easy game. Second round pick. Guess what? There's this pretty good running back on the Colts with a pretty good offensive line. Haven't heard of him. Jonathan Taylor. Why is he going in the second round? I don't fucking know. Take him, idiot. So you take Austin Eckler. You take Jonathan Taylor. Third round. Now you're picking at the end of the third round. The Rams got Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff. Pretty big upgrade. Pretty big upgrade. Cooper Cup is better than Robert Woods. Is the number one option on this team with Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. Guess what? He's available at the end of the third. Draft him. Not a big deal. Just draft him. Comes around to the fourth. I don't know. Quarterback of the best offense in the NFL, or one of, that runs and scores a lot of goal line touchdowns. Josh Allen, does he interest you? Draft him. Fifth round. Did you know at the end of the fifth, do you know that Mark Andrews is one of the most efficient tight ends in the NFL? Should probably draft him. Debo Samuel, sixth round, pretty good football player. Maybe just draft him, right? So if you get, but the, the point being is like, those guys exist every single year. We don't have any fucking idea who they're going to be. If we did, if we, if we knew that Cooper Cup was going to be a superstar wide receiver, he, he the very first draft I did, Last year, I posted it on Twitter. I'm not going to go try and find it. The very first Best Ball Mania 2 draft I did last year, I got Cooper Cup in the sixth round on a, a Stafford team. Now, I took Jonathan Taylor in the at like 107, and he ended up falling, you know, to the... I took Jonathan Taylor around earlier than he ended up. I took him... I think it was a robust running back team, which is really funny that I took a robust running back team to start... Uh, my entire best ball mania to portfolio last year, but it was Jonathan Taylor. Oh shit. I'm going to screw it up. Gibson. Miles, San- not Miles Sanders in the third, but Miles Sanders was one of my, I only took four running backs and um, a Ram stack with Stafford and Higby and cup. But it was like Cooper cup in the sixth round, Ebo Samuel in the eighth round. Um, and I, so I punted off all that value with my Miles Sanders and uh, <laughs> and and I guess JT. Um, you know, it didn't really matter if you took him in the first or the second. But point being, like, who know? Like, who really knows? Like that first draft, I was on to. A few, I mean, I didn't have Andrews. I didn't have uh, like I didn't have the league winners. I didn't have Rashad Penny. I didn't have Amon Ross St. Brown. Right, but like 
you can just stumble onto those guys sometimes, but like we really just we really don't know. As Silas says, here's an easy game: draft Jonathan Taylor, draft Cooper Cup, draft Debo Samuel, Josh Allen. I'm a, and and then I went through the first five rounds, six rounds. I went through the first six rounds, right? The stone nuts, literally the stone nuts. If you drafted those players that I just mentioned in the first six rounds, and then you would still lose in the championship if you didn't have Amon Ra and Rashad Penny. Isn't that fucking crazy? That's crazy. You could, uh, no, Cup was not, Paul. Liam did not have Cooper Cup. Isn't that crazy? A a guy who, for a lot of the summer, went in the fourth round and had one of the best wide receiver seasons for fantasy like ever, wasn't even on the winning team. It's just, it's... It's it's crazy, yeah, yeah. Liam Liam didn't uh, Liam had JT, but Liam didn't have Mark Andrews. Liam didn't have Debo. Liam didn't have Lenny. So it's fun. This this game is so funny, and that's why this I'm I'm really excited about this show on Thursdays because these are the kind of things that we should be diving into, right? It's so hard to put into practice some of these theories, no pun intended, around best ball because like it's it's a one season sample of things and there's like literally like thousands of variables that play into this. Like all the way down to the granular level of like who did you get matched up with in the semifinals, right? Because it's a randomization of all the best teams in the semifinals. You could like there are... I would almost guarantee it. I, I, maybe that's strong, but I would I would bet that there are teams out there that will, that did not make the finals, that lost in the semifinals. Even, even I'm not even saying just teams that lost in the semifinals and like got 16th. I'm saying teams that were second or third to really good teams in the semifinals that would have beat Liam's team. Right? It's just like there's so much chaos in the the underdog, the playoff format that it's like so hard to wrap your head around. And so I like talking through the different strategy elements. And like um, I said, I said it, I, I've said it a lot recently. Uh, I'm, I'm repeating the same phrases and like uh, stupid, cheesy lines now as like, I'm, I'm getting older. I feel like sitting in this, office in my own house working from home and talking to people on the internet every day is it's like aging me but but i said and have said multiple times like i'm more interested in the why behind things right not the what like the what is who gives a shit what happened or what i think why do you think that or why did it happen or why did it not happen you know, um, if you haven't watched yet, yesterday, the Wednesday show is Best Ball Bros, which is one of my favorites because we don't have to talk about all I constantly uh, talk about like best ball uh, teams and drafts and stuff. And I had Josh Norris on from Underdog, and um, you should just go just go watch it. I won't I won't re regurgitate uh, a lot of that, but. Um, a great episode. 
a, gr- a great episode. So anyway, we're 12 minutes, almost 12 minutes in, and uh, we haven't got into any of the actual subject of what uh, what we were supposed to talk about. But what I am going to do is derail us for another minute. So, <laughs> so I, my office where I'm working from right here is uh, in the basement of our house. So, um, obviously, I have like a basement bedroom that we've converted into my into my office. <clears throat> right over here, where I'm looking, we have a, an egress window. Right, so we have an, uh, you know, an egress that falls down that I can see very clearly. And so, a couple of weeks ago, I maybe I just like didn't didn't see this happen or didn't. Uh, di- no, we're not going to do we're not going to do a house tour. Maybe maybe this summer I'll work from some other rooms. I am going to try to redo my office. But anyway, don't derail me, dude. Just because we went to high school together doesn't mean you get to come over. It's not how this works. Um, so I don't know how I didn't see this or see this happen, but apparently a rabbit fell down into our egress window, the one in my office. And my wife comes down one day and just looks, happens to look in the egress because we've had like frogs fall down there. We had a bird in there one time. I'm, I've crawled down in there multiple times to, to rescue these goddamn animals. And she just walks over there and she sees a dead, there's a dead bunny rabbit in the egress, you know? So she's all sad and I'm like, well, I got to look at this thing. Do I got to go get this dead carcass out of my egress, whatever. And so that was a couple of weeks ago. Today, I come down, um, I work this morning, take a little break, walk the dogs, come back down and I'm going to sit down to work i my ass cheeks have barely touched the chair and it's like i said it's right here so like i can see it out of my peripherals and there's just something falls down the egress just falls and hits the ground and i'm what the like that's not a leaf or anything that that looked like a body so i go over Another fucking rabbit. There's another rabbit that fell, crawled up onto the egress and fell down in to this egress window right outside my office. So, of course, I see him now. I'm going to go go out there, crawl down, and rescue this rabbit. So I go out. First, I, got, I go get some boxes because I'm going to trap it. I'm going to trap the rabbit, carry it out, let it go. So I got two cardboard boxes with me, pull off the cover, walk down in there and this rabbit is losing its goddamn mind right it's trapped it fell down from wilderness it lives it's it lives in infinite wilderness and now it just fell down into this egress window it's it's trying to crawl out i mean it's like it's like as tall as me i'm about six foot so it's about six foot tall down into this you know uh this near plummet to death for this poor rabbit and it's just it's going it's running laps it's trying to crawl up the side Right. Obviously, it can't get up that far. So it's going nuts. I'm down in there trying like with two cardboard boxes in my hand trying to catch it. So I catch it. Finally, it actually took me. I'm embarrassed to say longer than I thought it was going to take me. I, I trap it. And it's 
going apeshit, like like jumping around and going so crazy that it's like almost like popping the boxes apart with my hands. So I'm like, I'm just going to toss the box out because I have to crawl out of the egress, right? on Up the, up the ladder. I'm going to toss the box out. I toss the box out onto the yard, into the yard. It, the, the rabbit jumps out of the box back, like at my face, back right on into the egress. Literally, it was like, if you've ever seen Christmas Vacation, when the squirrel jumps out of the Christmas tree, that's what happened to me. I'm standing in our egress window and this goddamn rabbit that I just saved jumps out of this box like all the way arms extended like full speed freak out right at my face and i'm freaking out right like nearly like swatted the damn thing out of the air it goes back down into the egress and starts running laps again so i eventually get it into these boxes and now i (laughs) Once I get it into the boxes again, I chuck the damn thing like way far away. So who knows what kind of like stories this rabbit is. And then it ran off. It finally, this time did not run back into the egress. It ran away. Um, so he's having some, you know, they're going to sit down and have dinner tonight, him and his family. And they're going to tell some, he's going to be like, you will not fucking believe what just happened to me today. So that was my day. And I, I, it has rattled me sort of since then. So I wanted to tell that story. And that's the life of a best ball player, I guess. But anyway, so um, this is really funny. Of course you did. Of course you did. Um. Before we dive in, happy Cinco de Mayo to everybody. Hopefully everyone is uh, having a a wonderful day. I don't know. So as it pertains to these early drafts, right? Let's actually get down to something a little bit productive. I am going to pull up a couple of things really quick just to share because there's been a lot of really good conversation in the Discord. If you're not in the Discord, Please, like, it's my number one biggest recommendation. Um, more than listening to me talk, more than, like, reading my articles, is hopping in the Spike Week Discord because you you will learn way, way, way more from either just reading the conversation that everyone is having or engaging in the conversation that everyone is having, posting your teams and asking for feedback, right? We have draft feedback channels. There's just so much... Um, good uh, learning that can be had every, every single day. I learn every single day from the people in the discord. And so uh, really quick, we are, of course, Rob has two rabbits. Of course, Rob has two rabbits. I do like rabbits. That rabbit didn't like me very much, but uh, I do like two rabbits. So <clears throat> I've posted, uh, you know, I, I like to make, fun a little bit uh, mostly as a bit as a troll but you know the like player takes type stuff uh you but it's more so from a person that is treating this 
fantasy football landscape, particularly this best ball landscape as like, they want to be an NFL scout and say, who is, you know, who they think is, is good that other people think are bad. Or as you see here, MBS, it maybe you think that MBS is bad at football as opposed to analyzing him from a fantasy football range of outcomes perspective and setting aside, you know, maybe your player takes because we know that they are inherently going to be wrong very often because we're not NFL scouts. Um, however, that being said, I think from a, um, like a best ball tournament perspective, this is the time right now where the player takes comp. This is kind of the first part of this theory, this early draft strategy. And then we'll kind of open up the, the conversation <laughs> kind of conversation. Paul says, uh, are Rob's two rabbits named Trey and Lance. And God, they should be if they aren't. They should be. With all the hate you're spewing towards uh, Trey, Ran Trey Lance. Anyway, back at David says here, also, even the NFL scouts are wrong. Uh, boom. Put it on the wall right now. Like, that is, that. that's it. You you can't pretend, no matter how good you actually are at evaluating players, that you're going to get them all right. That, uh, you, that how many? What percentage are you going to get right? Even if you're like a really, really good talent evaluator, there's just so much that goes into it that it's so hard to um, think that that's an edge. But where I think um, the difference is from a best ball perspective is, excuse me, soul got me. We're drinking, we're drinking, oh, we're drinking soul on Cinco de Mayo. But uh, the difference is the funny, the, like the, the funny bits about the player takes are when people try to be NFL scouts, the advantageous thing about the player take stuff is you're as long as you're doing it not trying to be an NFL scout you're trying to view every player through a lens of a that's a best ball chess piece what does that mean right of course of course player talent is somewhere in that whole equation but that's not everything right like, I, I don't really know, as you see on the screen here, I don't really know how good MVS is. I don't know. I'm not particularly excited about him as a football player. However, his profile combined with the landing spot, his archetype, the, the player archetype that he is, combined with the, the match with Patrick Mahomes, with Tyreek Hill gone, and all these other variables, the targets left available you start to see that it's like a no loss kind of a bet. How do you lose on MVS? Like, even if, even if, even if you think he's bad and he is just the new chiefs downfield flyer, right? That's the, uh, that would be the worst case scenario for MVS is yep. He's bad. We've seen that he's bad with the Packers and all he does is run down the field and catch deep balls. Well, that's pretty valuable <laughs> on the chiefs. 
And from a best ball perspective, that's extremely valuable. Let me uh, pull it up and scroll on down to the uh, MVS section. You see here, so just to, uh, his game logs, right? Strictly game logs. I know that there's, um, you know, that's just the results, blah, blah, blah. But you see over here, right? 20-point game, 20-point game, 20-point game, 20-point game, 17-point game. Those are the kind of games we want from a player. So, like, even if we think that he's not very good and all he does is catch deep balls, that's actually the kind of player we should be targeting in best ball. Now he has more opportunity than he has ever had. Will he earn more of it? Who the hell knows? But because there is more opportunity and because there is uncertainty on exactly what his ability to earn those extra targets is, that creates a wider range to the ceiling outcome. It actually, it doesn't change the floor and it doesn't, I'm not sure it changes, um, you know, the median outcome, but it absolutely changes the ceiling and the ceiling becomes really big. It becomes really big. I wrote about it down here where it was you see here and the crazy part is what if he's better than we think i don't think he's i anyone that wants to say like mbs is not very good you're not going to really get an argument from me he's just a downfield flyer he's going to catch some 60 yard touchdowns here and there i probably agree but what if you're wrong the chiefs paid him three paid him a three-year 30 million dollar contract they got rid of Tyreek Hill. He was basically the replacement. Obviously, he's not going to replace everything that Tyreek did. They have Juju and Sky Moore and maybe McColl for that. But he is their only archetype that is that of a, this downfield flyer. So what if he can do more than we think? I don't know what, I, I, like I said, I here, here you see. I don't know exactly what probability I would put on that. I don't know if anybody can say that. Um, with any degree of certainty, but what if, what if he's just better? Like what's the ceiling? 75 catches, 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns. If he's better. And if he earns like basically the most targets out of all their, what, what if he earns more? What, what has Juju done? I like Juju too, but what has Juju done to earn this separation other than his name? earn this separation from MVS in drafts. And so my, all, all, all of this, all of this point, another perfect comment from David, we don't have to pay the ceiling outcome price for MVS. That's the thing. If MVS were priced like Juju in the fifth or sixth round, this is a very different, he would not be in this article. <laughs> if he were priced to where the ceiling was. He's priced to where the floor is. How many players in the 11th round, right? He goes at pick one, one, sorry, 120, 121st overall. How many players at that ADP are like a lock to give you multiple 20 point games? Barring health. How many? Like, any? None? He might be the only one. And so you're not paying, as David says, you're not paying for the ceiling outcome at his at his price. If he gets steamed, we'll have a different conversation. But right now, it is a... The thing we want to go after is the 
small loss, huge win players. He is the epitome of a small loss, huge win type player. If you're losing on MVS, it's like, okay, maybe he only had two 20-plus point games. Right? He was just the downfield flyer, Juju and Kelsey and Sky Moore took all the targets. Maybe the, maybe the offense regressed, and he only caught two long touchdowns this year. That's the loss. It's pretty good for a dub for a going 121st overall. And so those are the kinds of guys from this from this strategy perspective that I think we should be targeting. That's why I've actually written some of these like player-focused type pieces so far, because I think again, going back to the player take thing, it's not about like like I said, I'm not like evaluating MVS as a player, but I'm evaluating MVS as a best ball asset. And what he is as a best ball asset is crazy. It is, I have him 93rd overall, as you see here. Sorry, I got the share icons in the way. The Spike Week rank is 93rd overall. I am personally actively trying to keep my ranking of him in check. I think if you literally put a gun to my head and said, would you take him over guys that are in front of him? The answer is undoubtedly yes, but there's no real right. There's no real reason to push him like 90. I mean, he's 30 picks ahead of, of ADP. That's, that's probably sufficient. He's about the time. Um, like if you use the rankings in your, um, you know, like when you're doing your drafts about the time when he should start to hit the top of your um, queue, he's going to hit there just a smidge before. And then, so you'll always be reminded to, um, to take him. But anyway, to wrap up this point, my, my thing is we should go into these first early, early drafts and you're going to have different takes than I am. I'm going to have different takes than, uh, than other people are. I certainly have different takes than uh, Rob in the chat who hates everyone that I like. Trey Lance, the Giants, the Jets. I don't really like the Jets anymore for what it's worth. That was really disappointing. I was on the Jets. And it's crazy because they got so much better on offense. But um, now we added a running back. (laughs) They have so many tight ends. And we added a wide receiver. It's a mess. So the Jets are a mess. But um, you, you have to evaluate players from like an archetype and a range of outcomes perspective right now. And then I think one of the advantages in these early drafts is a hundred percent using those, but using those archetypes and those ranges of outcomes to find who is undervalued in your opinion. And your opinion might be different, but that's good. That's fine. If you and I agreed on everything, we're going to have the same teams and that's not very good, but whatever your process is for kind of figuring out that range of outcomes and those player archetypes, um, that's, that's where we can take some early, early stands. You see here, um, I'll hit it. I'll, 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 I'm going to hit the chat here in a second, but I just wanted to touch on a couple other ones that you see here in this article. The one running back 
is James Conner. Um, I totally get, I talked about it here in this, in this piece as well, which I'll post in the chat. If you haven't seen it, um, I think it's applicable to all, all, all sites. It's just definitely a lot more applicable to, to drafters. And I, I, I uh, kind of spin it through the context of, of drafters, but James Conner is, is, is a great one. He's going, I have him 15th overall. He's going 34th overall on, on drafters. And um, it's basically, in my opinion, um, 15th overall would be sticker shock to people because he's not a guy that has gone there, at least not in a long time um, from his Steelers days. And the injury thing, people are very, very, people get very, very wrapped up in the injury players, players who get hurt frequently. And I get that. I'm, I'm not even really arguing against um, dinging a player for being a historically injured guy or injury prone guy. However, on drafters, there's a big difference in in on in these underdog tournaments, right? If I draft James Conner in the third round and I don't have him in week 17, everybody else is going to have their third round pick in week 17. And I'm not. So that injury thing does play a little bit more of a, of a factor in um, the playoff format type contests. However, in drafters, it's like if I get, what's the, I don't know what, what I would put the cutoff on, but if I got 13 weeks of elite level James Conner performances, 12, maybe even like, I don't know, 10, I don't know what the number is, but if I got elite level production from James Conner for X amount of weeks, yeah. Third round, sign me up. Like, what are we doing here? You know, because it's a cumulative thing. I'm not dead just because he's not there for week 16. If I've already built, if, if he's the RB three for the season going into week 16 and I lose him, of course that sucks, but I'm not dead. Whereas I'm dead. If I've relied upon it, right. If you, if, if we saw what happened with Derrick Henry teams, right. It's a little different first round versus third round. But we, Derrick Henry teams, Christian McCaffrey teams were dead on underdog. If you got their performances for a little bit longer, of course, but if you got their performances for a much longer part of the year on drafters, they, you, your teams would not be dead. You might have such a big lead that you can totally with, withstand it. Um, B. Kurt says the drafters lobby is ready, is ready and waiting. I've been, uh, I'm gonna fire a bunch of of drafters um, tomorrow. I'm gonna take uh, probably uh, this cinco, the rest of the Cinco de Mayo evening off, and then fire. A bunch of drafters. So let's hit some of these. If you have now, what I want to do for the last twenty-five minutes or whatever, if you have some ideas that you have been thinking about for your early, you know, what can you do in these drafts right now that can give you a strategic advantage? I have some other ideas, but what can you do that gives you a strategic advantage other than pinpointing the players that are undervalued? in your opinion. And th that's not even just the players that are going to rise. We had a conversation about that in the discord as well, where um, um, shout out JXP is really, really, really heavily focusing on only players that are going to rise. And I think, I don't think we should um, only focus on players that are going to rise, but that's, that, that certainly is a, a part of this whole process. It's definitely a part of this whole process. So um, beyond that though, like the James Connors, like the 
MVSs. I also have a spoiler alert. My guy, David Bell on here. Um, outside of that, what, what are you, what do you guys think? And we can kind of uh, chit chat about it. It could also be other players. <clears throat> maybe, maybe there's a index of suspicion says Tony Pollard. I love me some Tony Pollard. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to sell me on this one. He's a really fascinating one because the assumption for everyone is I love, I love this actually. Um, I've been thinking about uh, incorporating some kind of piece on Tony Pollard. So I'm really happy you brought him up. There is an assumption by the market. Again, this is similar to the assumption that MVS is just who MVS is. I I'm not disagreeing, but I think we have to think about, the alternative outcomes that could happen in the situation that said player is in. And we talked about it with MVS, but with Pollard, the assumption is that Zeke is still just going to be the guy. And Pollard is like a straight handcuff. And first of all, that's not true. Um, um, let me pull up. Uh, Let's go to let's go to fantasy pros really quick. Oh, that is 2012. Let's go to 2021. And let's look. That's 18 weeks, but that's okay. All right, let's look at the regular season of running backs. Let's go to half point PPR. And let's go find Pollard. So um, let's just pull up his games. Here's Tony Pollard last year, right? The assumption is that this is this is literally Tony Pollard. Like Tony Pollard gets treated like he is a zero and needs an Ezekiel Elliott injury to be worth a shit in fantasy. However, now I know Pollard um, gets drafted fairly efficiently, but I actually. I actually think um, if you go to the Spike Week rankings, uh, he's still higher, even uh, quite a bit higher, I think, than his, than his ADP. But that's big because if you look here, 20-point game. I mean, and, and even ignoring the fantasy points, right? We see the fantasy points on the right-hand side here. Even ignoring that, 13 carries, 11 carries, 10 carries, 14 carries, 10 carries, 7 carries, 11 carries, 10 carries, 7 carries, 12 carries, 8 carries, right? Catches, 4, 3, 1, 0, 4, 3, 6, for like he's not a zero Zeke is going to play more than he is absolutely but he's an efficient player and he's going to pop for usable weeks in your lineup regardless of Zeke and Zeke's health and so I think there's this misconception around Pollard that people that are pro Pollard are like you know the zero RB zealots and that they're they're chasing this uh, handcuff. He's a lot closer. Like, what is the difference between him and Kareem Hunt? Pollard has more. Pollard has more upside because Kareem Hunt has never really flashed the true upside when Chubb got hurt. Pollard has flashed the like the RB one upside. When Zeke has got hurt. So you're getting the hand, you're getting the the one, two, three, four to five usable weeks, regardless of Zeke. And you're getting 
the upside of Stone Cold League winner, Tony Pollard. The other thing with that assumption, the assumption is that he's strict, he's the backup, that he's only going to get this level of work, right? 13 carries, 10 carries, you know, 10 to 15 touches. That's the going in assumption. What if that's wrong? The Cowboys have zero reason to keep feeding Zeke. They can cut him after this year is over. And now Pollard is also a free agent. So they have, you know, maybe, maybe they won't care about Pollard either. But they, but that point is they have no reason to be tied to either of these two guys because they can get out of both of them after this year. So play the guy who's going to help them win more. In previous years, if Zeke was worse, it was kind of like, well, we paid Zeke a shitload of money for a lot of years. So we got to let him ride. That's not true anymore. And even if it was true, maybe the team might just realize or believe that Pollard is better, right? We could get into week one and we're like, oh, shit, right? Like, I should have drafted 40% Tony Pollard because he's getting 60% of the work and Zeke is getting 40. What, again, what, similar to the MVS thing, what probability do I assign to that? I I don't know, but it's in the range. It's 100% in the range. Or he just earns that over the course of the year. So he's a great one. I really like, uh, I really like that. Um, let me see. Ethan says, Will Fuller, 17, 20 point games. Is that over his, uh, career? I would love it if it was, uh, in a, that's what we need this year. Ethan, we need, we need 17. <laughs> well, I, that's the only way I'll, uh, that's the only way I'll get even on Will Fuller is if he uh, has 17, 20 point games this year uh, after the last two years. And he just, uh, uh, God damn Siri. How does Siri always, always catch me? Starts talking to me in my, in my ears. Drives me absolutely nuts. Uh, David says a different player archetype, but it's like Hunter Renfro from last year, maybe a narrow range to hit a ridiculous ceiling, but it's there and the cost is low. Absolutely true. Again, uh, I mentioned JXP earlier who talked about Hunter Renfro this offseason and like heading into last year. And I'm so mad about Renfro because I was on this. I drafted him a little bit early. Um, You see some of the metrics that show that like, actually he's pretty good at football. He's good at earning targets. He's a really efficient player, blah, blah, blah. And um, you start to back off because you're just like, ah, he's just a slot receiver whatever and you realize that that shit doesn't matter um and that was terrible process by me but your point being hunter renfro was a guy late in drafts that had zero target competition besides darren waller has proven to be a good football player did did um the hunter renfro teams and the hunter renfro stands run pure from like hitting that ceiling maybe maybe but like he was one of the fairly few guys that went in that you know 17th 18th round range where that even existed and we as a market were really bad because what bias because he's a 510 white slot receiver we didn't want to um, think that that was possible for him but it was absolutely in the range absolutely um, and you contrast that with plenty of wide receivers that are much more expensive this year than they were last year, where you're paying a price that is only plus EV if they hit the ceiling again, like Debo, 
pains me. Pains me. Sam, Sam, Samuel, Sam or Samuel? You tell me. Sam, Sam Shirley says DPJ seems like cheap MBS as long as they don't sign Fuller. I support that. Silas is with it. Silas is with it on DPJ. I support that too. Um, it would be, wouldn't it be surprising if they didn't sign Will Fuller? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm, uh, like I said, maybe I'm just overthinking things. But like, why is Will Fuller sitting out there for this long, if not to go play with Deshaun? I don't know. I, that's my my galaxy brain only hesitance, but I've actually drafted a good bit of, of DPJ because if it doesn't happen, right, if Fuller goes elsewhere, or who knows, maybe Fuller is done. Fuller hasn't been healthy in two years. Fuller, maybe his hand is just fucked. We don't know. We have no idea. And so... Um, I like DPJ. David Bell's my guy in that uh, Cleveland offense, but I support DPJ as well. He's a good one. I think um, as we're talking about this strategy type stuff, DPJ is also a guy that's a good bet. S- similar to, to like the David Bell thing. If they don't sign anyone, if they don't sign Will Fuller, if they don't uh, bring Jarvis, bring Jarvis back. This damn camera. If they don't, if they don't do anything, how how do these guys not rise? Right? And so the the risk is, of course, they do sign Fuller and then DPJ is like undrafted. But the upside is the market, like we don't know how long Deshaun is going to be suspended for. Maybe that's less than we think. Perfect thing to do in these early drafts is capitalize on this uncertainty. And so there's uncertainty around the Browns, like a thousand, like (laughs) as much uncertainty as any team in the league, whether it be how long Deshaun is going to be suspended, if he's going to be suspended, what that wide receiver room is going to shake out to be. um, Are they going to bring somebody in at wide receiver? Are they going to keep Kareem Hunt, right? The whole Cleveland Browns situation is extremely uncertain. And so that's a great strategic place to pounce because, yep, you might like, I've been drafting Dearness Johnson, a very similar type of bet to DPJ. I'm drafting Dearness Johnson, but on the chance that Kareem Hunt gets cut or traded. Now I have a guy who is probably going to play some period, but it's definitely one of the best handcuffs in the league in the 18th round. And if, you know, if it if it doesn't work out and Hunt stays on the team, I mean he he was fantasy relevant last year. I'll take my chances. And if he, you know, and if it works out, you just got, I mean, I don't know how high Dearness would go. Alexander Madison goes in like the 12th round. What's the difference? Other than Dearness might be better. <laughs> like, you know, so um, that kind of situation also exists for Cleveland in the passing game, right? These guys are smack, like as it stands right now, other than Amari Cooper, they're all smashes. I would call Njoku and even Harrison Bryant a smash at cost, assuming nothing happens and assuming Deshaun doesn't get suspended for a long time. And so those are the kind of situations, as long as you're willing to accept that risk, like if, if that's not a risk you're willing to take, I get it. But I think that's one of the strategic elements of drafting early is 
um, that uncertainty breeds opportunity. So let's see what we got here. But to touch on Silas says, uh, we need to know that these archetypes of players are inconsistent. So you need to make sure you have them in the right type of builds. 100%. Um, I will say the, the, the inconsistent players fit into more builds than Jacoby Myers does, than Jarvis Landry does. And I think that's a misconception. Um, there's not a lot of builds that MVS and DPJ don't fit into. But there are a lot of builds that Jacoby Myers doesn't fit into. If that makes sense. Yeah, David says, sorry, I'm catching up on the comments. I'm gonna I'll try to fly through some of these. I know I was a uh, I was I was rambling. Situation just isn't as stable for DBJ and the Browns. How many games does Watson start? And is he the same guy? That that's also a good point. And is Watson the same guy? What will Stefanski do with Watson instead of Baker? I fucking hope he doesn't do the same shit he did with Baker. Although, even if he did the same stuff he did with Baker, they're going to score a lot of points because Baker was was horrible. Um, Silas says, I'm starting to come around on maybe Watson is not suspended. Yeah, what are they waiting for? I don't know, man. It's a, that's a, that's a, it's a great question. Rob says, oh, he's getting suspended. I do agree that um, if I were betting, it's 100% he's getting suspended. And if I were just to like throw an over-under out, it's probably six games. But... Um, Honestly, who we never seen anything like this, so it's not really worth me commenting on it a ton. Um, handshake index. Shout out, brother. This is a good one too. Speaking of this, speaking of suspensions, uh, Houston says I'm curious to see what happens if Kamara gets suspended. You can throw Dalvin Cook into this as well. Um, like. How many games are we talking here? And what does that mean for their draft stock, right? Mm -hmm. We just saw DeAndre Hopkins get six games and he went from a, uh, what, an early third round pick to, I don't know, I've seen him in the ninth round. And I think that's probably about right. Um, again, depending upon, we talked about drafters earlier. I want to make sure to talk about drafters Um in all these conversations because they are very, very different. And um, it's really nice. It's really nice having an alternative platform that we have like huge tournaments on now. Um, the DeAndre Hopkins is borderline undraftable on drafters. I think he's like in like my eighth tier of wide receivers, something like that. Well, on underdog, it's a very different situation. So, um, that being said, the same thing applies to Kamara and Dalvin Cook now to a lesser extent because they're not gonna they're not gonna get suspended for six games. I don't think. I don't know that for sure, but I don't think. And what does that mean? Like, what you know? I haven't wrapped my head around that totally yet. Both for Kamara and for Dalvin, I'm drafting Madison. I'm not drafting Mark Ingram. <laughs> Um, I was pretty out on the Saints last year. I don't think I've drafted a Saint. Well, I was taking Michael Thomas in um, the pre-NFL draft, pre draft um, mainly drafters contest. And I still think Michael Thomas is a fine pick and probably a pretty good, decent pick on drafters specifically with full point PPR. But um, 
the Saints are a pretty scary proposition, I think. Uh, Chaos says Pollard is going near the same price as last year when he should be Kareem Hunt from last year. This is a great take. Pin this on the fucking wall, too. Kareem Hunt went in the sixth round last year, give or take, right? Depending on um, how wide receiver lover uh, your draft room was, was. Kareem Hunt was like a sixth-ish round pick. Pollard is Kareem Hunt of last year, but he goes in the ninth round or tenth round. It's terrible. It's egregious. <laughs> you have to account for their head coach, Jerry Jones. David David says, add to that the chance Watson may not be as good as he once was. Yep. The situation isn't quite the same, so you need a significant discount on... Oh, yeah. Definitely need a discount on uh, DPJ versus MVS. MVS is uh, in a different class, I think, um, right now from DPJ, for sure. Uh, DPJ, I mean, MVS, I guess, technically isn't guaranteed to beat out Sky and McColl, but uh, I think... He's really uh, it's a it's a thin draw out for him <laughs> not to beat out at least one of those guys uh, to be pretty much an every down player. And um, DPJ is not going to beat out Amari. And based on uh, my conversation yesterday with Josh Norris, Josh said David Bell's going to play the slot for the Browns, which is just so awesome uh, for David Bell. But uh you know, that's DPJ's an outside uh, outside wide receiver. So he's competing more with Anthony Schwartz or a free agent. And so um, another thing to think about, Chaos says, A.J. Dillon going significantly ahead of Pollard is weird. Similar range of outcomes, and Pollard has a dustier <laughs> running back in front of him. I like your phrasing, and I could not agree more. How does that make sense? Explain it to me. Explain to me why AJ Dillon is this year's. Uh, who, who who said who said that earlier? No, you you said that. Chaos said this. He's the Kareem Pollard is the Kareem Hunt of last year. Usable weeks, even in this like pseudo backup role, and w- one of the highest contingent value bets in the entire player pool. But he goes in the ninth round. A.J. Dillon, who also has value in and of itself, probably more value maybe than Tony Pollard in and of itself, and also the like elite level contingent value. But one has Z, one has actual real outs, Pollard does, to just earning the lead job. Dillon is never going to usurp Aaron Jones ever. It's just not going to happen. And so I'm not even saying that Dylan shouldn't be targeted. I have him fairly high in rankings too. Um, But the difference is absurd. Absolutely absurd. Yeah, I agree with this. Trust me. No, no one agrees with this more. So I'm trying to figure out, Silas said for the audio people, uh, the hard part for me grabbing Pollard right now is he's in the same area that Miles, Miles Sanders is going. And I have drafted so much Miles Sanders. It almost makes me sick. And um, I'm, I've been trying to figure out how can I finagle my way into getting both of them. So, oh, my Lord. Dogs want, the dogs are demanding. Hey, the dogs are demanding we draft Miles Sanders and Tony Pollard on the same team. That's what 
That's what we learned today. It took 55 minutes. Took 55 minutes. And the dogs have uh, laid the gavel down and decided that's what we need to have learned from this. But I agree. Like, uh, we talked about uniqueness and stuff in the Discord the other day. Again, shout out to the Discord. SpikeWeek.com. Go to Discord. 100% free. We talked about um, the uniqueness kind of stuff. I would rather do that. I would rather reach on Pollard and then, like, take Miles at, like, how many people are even going to have them together? Plus the nuance of this, like, if you think MVS is undervalued, if you think David Bell's undervalued, if you think whoever, right? Mike Williams is undervalued. Gabriel Davis, like I do, I'm naming guys that I think are undervalued. And then you do those little subtle nuances from within your draft, you're getting as much or more uniqueness because you might have uniqueness on miles period. And then you just set all these combinations that are like completely unique. And so if you happen to be right about that combination of players, now you get, to the finals or whatever, and no one has anywhere near near your team. Sam, Sam says, I struggle taking Pollard over someone like Hunt, Melvin, or Penny. All have shown they can crush in full roles. I agree. P- Pollard, Pollard, Pollard has shown the same thing, though. Pollard has, Pollard has shown that he can crush in a full role. Um, I disagree with this take. The market doesn't think Zeke is going to be a lock for top. Top tier production. He goes in the fifth round, not the first like last year. I love Pollard, but not sure he'll get his. I didn't say anything about production. I said role. We there there Zeke goes in the fifth round because they're projecting him to be the lead back. They're projecting him for shit production because he's shitty. <laughs> and he's gonna have shit production. That's why he goes in the fifth. Not because of like we're projecting him for bad production bad production we're protecting pollard for good production sam says also don't think anyone is really building in the outcome that the hill loss makes the chiefs offense and mahomes get worse don't see how the browns offense isn't improved i agree with both of these things i actually believe very strongly that the chiefs offense is um not going to be improved my only disagreement with this statement would be all the Chiefs are free. Juju goes in the sixth round. Sky Moore now goes in the whatever, ninth or tenth round. MVS goes. So you have all the Chiefs wide receivers. <clears throat> when we used to have um, a first round wide receiver on the Chiefs, a first round tight end on the Chiefs, a third round quarterback, and then you'd get McColl in whatever round, seventh through the tenth. And CEH, right? CEH went in the first round his rookie year. He went in the, you know, at the two, three turn last year. Now the market actually is kind of saying we don't know about the Chiefs. Not only do we not know who it's going to, maybe they might be a little bit worse. So I agree generally with your assessment, but the ADPs are kind of saying. Um, a combination of we don't know and uh, maybe they might be a little bit worse. Um, let's see. Let me catch up here. King, King Wright says, am I crazy to think t- Tim Patrick at his ADP is crazy? Crazy good or crazy bad? 
sorry, I know I'm uh, a few minutes behind, but crazy good or crazy bad? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm catching up now. I swear if <laughs> I like this. I like this take. I swear if Tim <laughs> I swear if Tim Patrick had a cooler name, people would like him more. I agree. I literally just took Tim Patrick in the the, the BBM I did before this before this uh show. And look, I love KJ Hamler too. Tim Patrick is the wide receiver three on the Broncos. And all he does is produce, you know usable weeks doesn't mean that the ceiling doesn't exist he was producing usable weeks with teddy bridgewater and drew lock you know at worst i think he's going to be a an asset you are happy that is on your team at best i don't know you know at best it's technically like i guess somebody else gets hurt but like at at best he earns a, more than maybe we're thinking he does I, I think he's a pretty good pick Rob says, stealing my dearness take. <clears throat> you, yeah, I mean, I got to give you credit for uh, one good take in offseason. Haven't been many. So uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, Abram. Yep. Kyle. Kyle says Abram Smith. Yep. Uh, UDFA out of Baylor that's on the Saints now. I support that. So it's so funny that you bring, you bring that up. No one, literally, this is nerddom. Uh, 101 and just the pains of um, like doing rankings and stuff like that. But so I basically put together like every, you know, draftable player. Um, and you start like, cause you look at the depth chart and like, if you just base it on projection, it's very difficult because you're never going to get to Abram Smith. And, uh, but in the range or like, maybe even greater than in the range is like, dude, Mark Ingram is very old. Abram Smith, actually everybody thought Abram Smith was probably going to get drafted and he didn't. Maybe he becomes the new early, right? Tony Jones Jr. stinks. Maybe he becomes the early down grinder in tandem with Kamara. And uh, so he was on my list. <laughs> he was, he, I, he didn't make the rankings, but, uh, but he was on my list. So it's really funny that, uh, that, that you brought him up. Let's see. Uh, I'll hit. I'm, try, I'm trying to hit as many of these before we get out of here. Sam says, "Are we still confident in Madison with the new coaching staff? What if they use? What if they use someone they added for that role? Yeah, um, I'm still confident, but um, a little bit different in that um, when you bring in a new a new coaching staff, it adds um, potential for them to use him. Um, we, you know, we went through the Pollard thing, right? Where Pollard is viewed as like a zero when Zeke is healthy. And honestly, that's what Madison has largely been when Dalvin has been healthy, a zero, right? He actually, he gets like the third series of each half and then Dalvin pretty much plays the rest. Uh, but you bring into a new, you bring in a new coaching staff and maybe that's not the case. And so you have the contingent value plus maybe he is a little bit closer to Pollard. Um, and so there's the uncertainty could, as you said, the uncertainty could go the other way as well. But that's kind of that's kind of how I'm how I'm viewing it. Yep, there's the dogs. We've caught up. <laughs> we heard there were bunnies. Yeah, I'm so I don't think they were in here when the bunny fell from the like it. <laughs> it was like a, it was like the scene from The Departed when uh, who did they throw who did they throw off? Uh, what's the captain's name? They throw off the one guy. 
they throw him off the, the roof. He just drops and hits the ground. That was what the rabbit looked like out of my peripherals. It's like if the departed was in my egress, falling down, that's what happened. I mean, I, I've never, I've literally never drafted one. Literally never. All right, before we get out of here, DJA Dog, perfect person to perfect person to leave on. DJA Dog, there we go. It was Marty Sheen, Captain. God damn it, what was his name? I don't know. That's one of my favorite movies ever, and I'm really triggered. I can't come up with it. Uh, DJA Dog says, "I'm completely new to best ball, and I was wondering from a theory standpoint, how much do you invest in passing roles for running backs? I'm playing on underdog. Great question. We'll wrap up on this. So, two parter." Um, I don't know if this is exactly what you were getting towards, but if a running back, it goes back to some of the things we were talking about with archetypes and running back archetypes are maybe even more important than wide receiver archetypes. What I mean is, this is an extreme example, James White, JD McKissick, they have the passing role on their team, point blank period. They are always going to have the passing role and that's what they do best. And that gives them what you would perceive to be value because like pretty much every game, they're going to accumulate points, right? They're going to be out there on third downs, maybe get a few more plays than that. Going to catch some passes, maybe luck box a touchdown, but they don't have the ability to become uh, an elite level running back fantasy asset. And so the passing role for a player like that is on underdog, as you say you're playing, not very valuable, almost useless. And that is like an extreme um, way to put it. But there are so many guys that can produce. So we just showed the Tony Pollard thing. I know Tony Pollard obviously gets drafted a little bit higher. Tony Pollard had weeks of 20 points, 10 points, 10 points, 12.8 points, 13 points, 9 points, 9 points. That's a backup. That's a handcuff backup running back. And you can find that level of production with Alexander Madison luck boxes touchdowns every once in a while. The Daryl Hendersons of the world are going to luck box touchdowns every once in a while. It's just going to happen. There's so many committees now that Melvin Gordon is going to do it. Ronald Jones is going to do it, right? Travis Etienne. Uh, is going to see touches to whether it's James Robinson or whoever. There's so many of those guys that are going to produce fantasy points. And then on top of that, they have the contingent value upside to be the James Conner of last year, the Leonard Fournette of last year, where they are taking like the whole running back role for the entire offense. And so to, 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 to piggyback on that, the pass catching role, as you kind of asked about for um, best ball in general, but also on underdog is like not everything, but I think it's one of the things that people don't think through enough. James, look at, look at James Connor and Leonard Fournette. When you have the ability to earn the passing down role, that gives you the ability to earn every high value touch that exists in that backfield. Because we know James Conner and Leonard Fournette could get the goal line touches. And now if they could play on third downs and they can play in passing situations, they could play if the team falls behind by 20, right? You rack up six, seven catches. 
that's a lot of fantasy points. That's what sets those guys apart from a ceiling perspective. Out, we talked about Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard can do that. Alexander Madison can do that. Uh, James Conner can do that. Leonard Fournette can do that. Right? Not every running back can do that. You, we've actually seen it with some of the higher drafted running backs. Like shout out Joe Mixon. He's really good, and I'm I'm not going to have zero Joe Mixon in my portfolio because he's on the freaking Bengals, and I I'm I'm not fading anybody that's on these super elite offenses. He doesn't he doesn't get all of that same level work like that an Austin Eckler does on passing downs. It elevates your ceiling to such a level that other backs can't com- can like absolutely cannot compete with you. And so um, that is that is why yeah, Davis Maddock is in shambles. Shout out Davis, but he but he is in he is in shambles. So last thing, Davis says pass catching matters more for the early elite running backs than late round specialists. Late in drafts, we want home runs who can take us over the top. Seven points from J.D. McKissick ain't it. Right. Would you rather have Rashad Penny or J.D. McKissick? Would you rather have a handful of 8 to 12-point weeks from J.D. McKissick, or would you rather have a guy who is capable of putting up multiple 30-point weeks like Rashad Penny? Particularly on underdog, it's absolutely Rashad Penny. So um, thank you, guys. This was awesome. I don't know if we even accomplished what, what we set out to accomplish, but this is the whole point of this is we're going to sit here. We're going to have um, kind of a general theme of a, of a strategy, a theory type of conversation that, that we'll have. I'll get you guys' takes. I'll spew some takes. We'll look at a little bit of um, content, data, whatever, bounce some things back and forth and uh, have a little fun and see where the conversation goes. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a rigid type of guy. I hate that like type of content where like let's we have an agenda let's let's pull up the agenda on the left side of the screen please so that uh, we can make sure that we're following along that's not how i roll this is a lot of fun um happy cinco de mayo and didn't, didn't you guys have me talking too much to finish my beer but cheers tomorrow i think oh shit hold on i'm gonna confirm it before we leave i think it's I think it's 5 p.m. Eastern. I should know. I should probably know this, I would say. 5 p.m. Eastern. Draft Club. I think we're going to do a drafters. A drafters draft. Little teaser. I think we're going to do Yep, 5 p.m. tomorrow. Draft Club. See you guys. See you guys then. Um, enjoy your Cinco de Mayo. Catch you tomorrow. Later. Later.